Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Nimes. Really excited for today's guest. He was a four-time member of Team Alberta. He's won a CCAA National Championship, a CIS National Championship. He's a two-time Olympian and has played over eight years of professional volleyball overseas. Please welcome to the show, Jay Blankenau. Jay, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Your name's come up a couple times, and it's it's guys you've kind of beat out for the spot. So I really want to get your side of the story. As Hawkins and Kieran kind of pumped your tires a little bit, it'll be good to hear your side of the story. But uh, before we get to that stuff, I am curious, with you being a volleyball guy for so long, uh, what other sports were you playing growing up, and what uh, what kind of got you hooked on volleyball? Um, yeah, I played basically any sport that uh, I could get my hands on. Started out like when I was younger, played a couple years of soccer, Played basketball, volleyball, hockey, uh, played team handball, uh, some badminton, just like, yeah, all the school sports but, that I could play. I even did track one time just to kind of get out of class to, to like track and field. But my buddy signed me up for like the 3,000 meter, 1,500 meter, and I don't know, 800 meter race. And I wasn't much of a runner. So it was a bit of a. <laughs> Bit of a rough track meet, but yeah, I played like all the sports I could play. And uh, what really kind of hooked me on volleyball was the, uh, um, it was mainly the school sport thing. Like my sister was a year older than me and she got like the school jersey and everything to play volleyball and basketball. So I was just like, oh man, I need one of those. So I started kind of like working over the summer. I played like some club volleyball in grade six, like not strong enough to even overhand serve the ball over the net or anything, but um had a good coach this Robbie Franklin he helped me out a lot and so I was able to make the team when I was in grade seven and it kind of started there for my volleyball journey yeah I was gonna say for your era like I, I think it's awesome that kids can play like U12 or whatever we're down to but for you to play when you were in grade six would you been playing up quite a, a few years like you would have been like a U14 team yeah I think that must have been the youngest one I was pretty young on the team um and small. <laughs> so, and, uh, I think that's what kind of, well, at least it started my setting idea because I was a little bit smaller than everybody else. So like I couldn't jump and spike or anything with any of those other guys, even at that age. So, um, yeah, I kind of started there that I was setting. And, uh, also I went, then I went to grade seven, my uncle was a coach and he was so afraid that he was gonna have to cut me. Because we had like a pretty good sports team at at uh, Hayfarn, was the junior high school I went to, so it was difficult to make the team. And but my mom was working with me a bunch in the summer and everything, getting ready for tryouts. And uh, my uncle was kind of like, "Oh, wow! At least he has good hands. Like I can keep him on the team because <laughs> he can set." So that was kind of a how it started for setting. Also, nice, nice. And then when did Team Alberta come into it? Because for you to play four years at Team Alberta. Uh, would you have been like a younger guy on those squads too? Or does Team Alberta have like a 16U program when you were coming through? Uh, they had a 16U program. So I played, I guess, I, I got cut, I think, the first year I tried out. So I must have been 14, I guess. And then made it the years after that, kind of. Or maybe I made it 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah. So I think, but I got cut on my first year, first try, and then the other ones uh, made the team, and then the last team, Alberta. I guess I would have made the Canada Games team, but it was the year where the provinces were choosing if you could play junior national team or provincial team at the same time, um, and Alberta didn't let that happen. So I played junior team, 
uh, that summer, so I wasn't able to come back for Canada Games team. And was that a tough choice, or you were just so eager to enter like the national team stream at that time? Because you were a junior national team guy, you were a FISU guy, you were an FTC guy. Like, did you just want to get into the national team as quickly as possible, or what went into that decision? Yeah, I think the national team was a priority. It was kind of like if you could make the national team, that's kind of the step to go. And then I was hoping that the rules would maybe change, or they they would allow it in Alberta because they did allow it in other provinces. So I was kind of hoping I could play both because junior national team was done before the Canada Games tournament. So I would have been able to kind of join up and then go to the tournament afterwards. Uh, um, but they made a rule in Alberta that wasn't allowed, So, which, which was fine. It was like more for, um, or the, it was for like making sure it, there was more people developing playing volleyball so, and playing bigger tournaments. So, um, I mean, that part was okay. Uh, definitely would have liked to be there, but my first priority was national team for sure. And what can you just tell me and the listeners about just Alberta's development system overall? We've had uh, Shane White on the show, and he mentioned even in high school and club, he didn't think he had any coaches below like a level three certification. So they're just good coaches at all, every level. And you've already mentioned a couple of coaches you had growing up, but is that maybe what sets Alberta apart? Is just you get good coaching every level up, and then like you get in an age class with a guy like Kieran, and you're just battling with top athletes all the time. Like, what's the secret sauce that so many guys have come through the pathway? Yeah, well, like, obviously, it's a mix of kind of all of that. But um, for sure, coaching, like, you're, well, I say lucky enough, but there are a lot of good coaches um, to go through. And there's also, like, a pretty big culture of some, at the time, anyways, and I think now maybe even more, but, uh, like, college coaches coming to to tournaments and maybe they're giving some feedback and they're maybe talking to the coaches that are coaching clubs. So there's a little bit of interaction there about, you know, the things that they want guys working on or maybe like what they'll have to be able to do once they reach this next level kind of thing. So maybe there's a little bit of a trickle down from, from those situations. But, um, like speaking from my experience, uh, I did have good coaches, um, but also our age level for some reason, like probably a couple of years below me and a couple of years above me, like maybe three or four years above me had some really good volleyball players in short park in general. So that was like, pretty difficult to make even school teams and stuff like that all the way through um so that was challenging and then obviously when you go to provincial team or kind of like getting higher up that pyramid there's like some great bottle players in alberta at that time so playing club tournaments against those other clubs um trying to make provincial team those kind of things it's uh it ramps up pretty fast so i think the competition was pretty high um and that kind of forced you to to improve or else you weren't doing so hot at those uh alberta premium or what are they called Pre- no alberta premium Pre- premier yeah that sounds <laughs> right alberta premium is like a <laughs> classic whiskey or something from alberta. <laughs> there you go <laughs> but uh yeah um those premiers um so and those are pretty cool tournaments like getting to play against guys all over the province and um i mean eventually playing with some of those guys in college and university and national team stuff is also pretty cool too, um, getting to know those guys because it's it's funny you kind of don't like them at all during club because you're like man I'm just like trying to beat that team or whatever, and then you meet them maybe a provincial team or meet them at university you're like ah oh, he's actually he's he's a decent guy you know. <laughs> awesome. So, so to jump ahead in your journey 
I think this was very common in your era. Like Dallas Sunius did it. Uh, Brock did it. Like uh, to go to college and compete for a national championship and then go to university after. What went into your decision to be a Mount Royal guy and then like kind of build your program that way? Yeah. Um, well, one of my coaches, I, I kind of had the option maybe to go to UFC. I didn't have a ton of universities asking for me to go there. Uh, so it wasn't like, you know, I had all these options. Um, but Mount Royal, uh, Sean Sky was really um, good recruiting me. He was like talking to me about school, about volleyball, everything. So he was uh, pretty important. And then when I was kind of making the decision, it was kind of between, would have been kind of, I guess, Kieran and I at the start at UFC or if I went to Mount Royal. And at that time, UFC was kind of turning over. And my club coach at the time, for whatever knowledge he had of it, anyways, he was like, um, well, like, how much do you like losing? I was like, yeah, not so much. And he said, well, maybe, like, if you go to college, you have an opportunity to play, to win, to have success, and then move on to the next step in a better situation, like a better team situation that you might enjoy more and you might actually improve more or whatever. So um, that was kind of one that hit me hard. I was like, oh, you know, I'd, I'd rather go and have a chance to win something and have a chance to play all the time. I think that was better for my career start um, than, say, like going to university. I mean, battling it out for the position is one thing, but I don't know if the team is in a situation or a position to win, you know, a Can West or a national championship at that time. Would have been, it would have been an upset for them to do that, I think, from what I know. So, um, And it was kind of cool. Like going to Mount Royal, there was a lot of – there was 11 rookies and three vets and of those 11, it was all like those club guys we kind of played against. Um, so that was also kind of a cool experience, like all of us jumping into that next level of sport together uh, after competing against each other. So that was, that was a good experience. So did you always know it was going to be Calgary after you finished up uh, your diploma, your degree at Mount Royal? Uh, no. Uh, I Actually, after my first year, I was debating leaving because uh, I was feeling a little bit homesick. And I was trying to maybe go to U of A and just like be back in Edmonton near Shirt Park, like family, friends, all that kind of stuff. Um, and my coach was kind of convinced me, like, if you stay one more, if you go now, you're going to have to battle for positions the whole time in university. Um, you might not even get a chance because someone might jump you, um, which is with the timeline of things. So, um, but if you wait one more year, you'll probably have a lot of options at universities that, they're, um, that you can kind of choose from. So um, that was pretty good advice from them. When I finished my second year, basically most universities other than Trinity Western were asking what the plan, plan was. So um, that was kind of cool. It was actually nice. It, you know, it builds your, <laughs> builds your ego up a little bit, but it feels good to kind of like trust someone's advice and it ends up working out that way. So um, it was cool. I, I went, checked out UBC. Um, and Dalhousie was interested as well. That was they're gonna fly me out to check it out and everything um, like that. So um, that was kind of cool to just be, you know, recruited like that uh, in Canada. It was uh, also a good experience. Now, when you did pick UFC, uh, obviously with you and Kieran kind of battling it on the provincial team in Calgary, like did you reach out to him at all, or do you just kind of felt like that's just par for the course of being a setter that you're always going to have to fight for the spot, or what was kind of the mood joining a team where they already had a really good setter? Yeah, um, 
Jeez, I don't know. I definitely didn't reach out. Um, I think at that point we were in more competitive mode against each other a little bit. Um, I think I knew a lot of the guys on the team just from living in Calgary and being in the volleyball circle there. And a couple of the guys from Mount Royal had already went to Calgary. And um, my kind of thought process in going to Calgary was that they had a better team than most of the teams I had the option to go to at that time. At least I thought like they had better players. I thought we had a better chance. Um, so when I chose to go there, it was more on like, man, I'll battle with Kieran for sure. It's going to make me a better player. And if we do something there, we can actually have a chance to win something. So um, that was a little bit of my thought process there. It wasn't so much about Kieran um, on the on that choice, but I knew it was going to be a tough competition to get a starting spot. So um, I kind of figured that that was going to help me battle every day, train every day, that kind of stuff. And obviously, like, if some of our listeners would go back on the roster and say, okay, like, they had you, they had Graham Bygrass, but w- was there anyone else on the roster who stood out? Like, when you're talking national championship, like, was it because of the vets they had or was it guys that you had already battled with? Like, what stood out in your mind that, like, what would, had the pieces to be a national championship level team? Yeah, well, I mean, they still had uh, Omar Langford. Um, they had Oleg Podporn, uh, David Egan. Um, Curtis James, Chris Hogue was there. Um, Tom Porter was libero. So I knew Tom from Mount Royal too. I talked to him quite a bit about coming there and he thought I'd have a good chance of like battling for a chance of playing. Um, whether that was just his recruiting to get another good setter or if he was uh, being honest about it. But, um, so like those players kind of made me and I might be missing missing some players. So even like the, like Don McNeil was there. He was like a freaky athlete jumping like crazy and a strong guy. So I think like top down, we had just a, a really good team. And obviously Kieran was there as well. So, um, yeah, it was just like, I was just looking at the players and thinking like, man, that's a pretty good team. And if we put it together and those guys were kind of coming into their years as well, like their fourth, fifth years. So, um, yeah, I just thought it was a it was a team that looked strong enough to compete for a championship, basically. And how did you personally like to navigate those situations, whether it was the provincial team or with Fred of the Show Hawkins at Mount Royal or with Kieran at Calgary or even TJ with the national team? Like it kind of the, the the old setter thing, right? It's kind of like goalies in other sports where if you have two sport cars, you can only drive one. Like there's really only one spot for the guy. Like how do you enter those situations, whether it's practice, the team room, or supporting the other guy when your number's not called? Like how have you found the balance to really like work on your own development and battle, but still support the other guy because you know the position so well that you're going to support the other dude, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's always a battle. There's always that kind of underlying stuff going on, like just your ego and all those kind of things. Like you want to be the guy, obviously. So you got to kind of put that aside sometimes. I think the locker room stuff and the off the court stuff and, and all those those kind of interactions are are pretty simple. Like I treat everybody the way I kind of want to be treated myself. So, um, long as like that stuff's going well, then, then that's good. I don't like hold any grudges against guys. And, and I also think like, it's not that guy's fault that he's playing over me. Like he's just playing better. It's a coach made a decision, like all those other factors, but like, why would I hold that against him that he wants to be a starter, you know? So 
I don't really, you know, take it personally with those guys. Um, and with any kind of setter or other player that I'm battling with. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the way I look at it. And then, um, you know, Hawkins is a good guy. Kieran's a good guy. TJ's a good guy. So, like, it's pretty easy to talk with them and, you know, kind of just be friends with them and everything outside of court. So maybe on the court it gets a little chippy or it gets a little bit of a battle in, in training and whatever because there is that underlying, like, I want to be the guy, you want to be the guy. That's just kind of how it goes in sports. But uh, I think you just got to be able to kind of put that aside a little bit when you're off the court um, just for team dynamics and all that kind of stuff. Cause the last thing you need on a team is like, you know, half the team that wants one setter and half the team that wants another setter. And you got like a problem on the team, even if you're <laughs> the good, the best players playing, you know? And for your own competitive spirit, were you a guy who went into practice and would count like how many drills you want if it was a tight race with the other setter? Like, uh, I think it kind of got celebrated with the last dance documentary where like the Chicago Bulls used to put Michael Jordan with the twos and he would make it like a point of pride that he could beat the starters with the twos. Right. So uh, yeah. I'm curious, were you a guy who like I won more wash drills or I won the scrimmage today? I just wanted to win everything, to be honest. So it didn't matter like who I was with. It was kind of just like I, I really just wanted to win that drill. And, um, I mean, you always have a feeling like when you leave training, it's like, okay, I won more games or I didn't win as many games. Like you kind of register that, but I wasn't really, you know, holding that against anybody or anything like that. It was more like, I was just a super competitive guy or I am a super competitive guy. So, um, it doesn't matter kind of who I'm playing with. I want to win that drill. So, now, it, it is going back to the national championship year, but I, I remember finding an article. Is it true you guys were down 0-2 in the quarter and then you got the nod for the third set? The, and then, like, you didn't give the starting spot back, obviously, in a tournament format like Nationals? Is is that true? Yeah. The team was down and you came in and kind of readied the ship? Yeah, we were down 0-2 to Dalhousie. And, uh, yeah, I got subbed in um, and then played the rest of the tournament. Uh, and we ended up winning. So that was a pretty cool experience. I didn't play that much during the season um but i was kind of always battling and always feeling like i was ready to go and want to be part of it and wanted to have more of an impact all that kind of stuff um i had a bit of an attitude back then i think <laughs> uh, as a younger guy but um i think that one time before the uh, before the uh, first match we were playing like one training and rod told me rod like the coach you see told me something like Hey, make sure you're like ready to go and whatever. And I just told him like, I'm not afraid to start this tournament. <laughs> it was like, okay, okay, okay. So it was just like, I kind of had this kind of burning competitive edge that I was like ready to go whenever I got a shot. And it was kind of building through the season, not getting as, as many opportunities and not being the starter over the season. So kind of just came out firing in that, in that Dalhousie game. And then obviously went on a run through that tournament, but I mean, lots of other guys played really well. Like, Bagras played amazing that tournament. Um, Oleg played great, too. CJ. So, I mean, I don't want to say, like, me coming in changed how the whole tournament went. Like, I'm not saying that, obviously. But it was fun to come in and just start firing. I was a little bit chippy with, with Dalhousie. Like, just kind of trying to build the confidence for our guys by going aggressive at the other team. And, uh, yeah, just kind of turn the tournament around a little bit there. 
And was it on your radar that you you came in, you beat a team like Dalhousie, but then you beat Alberta and Trinity, two other schools you were considering recruiting? Like, was that just a nice confirmation that UFC was the right spot for you and you could take down a national championship there versus always kind of wondering, what if I went to this school or that school? That was a pretty cool feeling to beat U of A. And it was a really close game with U of A, actually, in five. I think we were down even game point, like 14, 13, I think, to them. And we, I don't, we scored a ball. Vigress got a block to win, I think. But it was a really tight game, like really tight match. So um, that was a really sweet one to win, just feeling like. And there was other guys on the team that I respected as players, like uh, Mike Duraco and Leishke. And, um, like I just respected a lot of those guys before I got to university. And then so like playing against them in that kind of a game was was amazing and then obviously beating them was like this feeling of like okay i'm like i'm here to play i'm here to to like be part of this kind of thing so um that was cool and then i mean trinity at the time well trinity didn't recruit me uh after mount royal but i mean that that part didn't really matter but trinity at the time was uh like a younger team with all these kind of like high flying young couple junior national team players like looking pretty good but just young basically and uh so when we played them i had i think i was just confident like we're in the final now we're, we're we have to take this like it was just kind of like once we got past you they i don't know it just kind of felt like no one was gonna stop the the train kind of feeling you know and for your next step, like, uh, I, I'm not sure if you would give yourself credit with this, but I think you definitely deserve like builder status with the national team. And what I mean by that is there's guys like Marr and Lepke and Barnes who could leave university and go get a pro contract where speaking to Jaron Mueller and some other guys in your era, FTC was the spot. Like it wasn't normal to get a CIS and then go pro, right? So uh, how important was that first year at FTC for you to feel pro ready, whether it was the workouts or just the volume? Like what was your first year at FTC like? Uh, difficult. <laughs> would be the first and main word but uh i improved a lot as a player but also like physically i just changed from being kind of a university kid who was working out sometimes not working out other times um like kind of eating whatever i wanted to eat living life living weekends when i wanted to live weekends after games like that kind of stuff and then going there was really like okay i'm actually going to try to make a career out of this so like how sh- how should i act and how should i eat and how should i do weights and all that kind of stuff. So learning all those things uh, was great. I, I mean, I like my body type just changed when I was at FTC. I think I was, I don't know, like uh, let's say high body fat percentage, but I cut it in half uh, by Christmas. So it was just like a full kind of change physically. And then also just learning the game at, at a higher level uh, was was important for me to give me some like framework to use when I went over to play pro because if I went to play pro directly, it might've been okay, but I definitely wouldn't have had like the structure or framework to be able to like speak with guys and try to figure out how we're going to play or even what we're going to play. I was just kind of out there playing volleyball. So that might not have flown so hot when you're going over to pro and someone starts paying you money and you got to kind of <laughs> have an idea for the team. So yeah. It uh, definitely prepared me well for pro. 
So for you to go FTC and then to Greece and then back to FTC, is that kind of just an observation about how difficult it is for a Canadian setter to get a contract? Or was that just a, an investment you were making in your career to then go on to like bigger leagues? Not not downplaying what Greece is, but looking at the rest of your career to eventually end up in like Turkey and Poland, right? Like, what, was yeah. that just a thing, something you needed to do for your own development? Or was that just maybe you didn't get an offer you wanted to in that kind of 14, 15 season there? Yeah, it was a mix of both. Uh, I went to Greece, had a pretty tough season. I played opposite for five or six weeks while I was there because our opposite was injured. We started playing at 6-2, and then the other setter wasn't scoring so well, so I just started spiking back row also. So I, until Christmas, I played like five weeks, five games as opposite, and then we, got, we picked up a couple more players, and I played as a setter again. But uh, it was just kind of a tough season. I don't know, missing money on the paychecks and – just like learning all about some things in pro that go on like in those earlier years. So that was a bit difficult. And then the offers that obviously came from after that were to not really the main leagues. Like there was like Sweden and, you know, those kind of Nordic countries and stuff. And I wasn't really ready to, to go there. And I thought it'd be better for a national team if I spent more time learning from that program than going to pro. Um, I mean, you wouldn't be making that much money, so that wasn't really part of the consideration, but it was more like what's going to make me a better player. Um, so I kind of made the decision for that and trying to prepare me for that next national team summer and then pro afterwards. Now, Fred Winters, and I totally believe with him, I'm glad he was so blunt on the show, he said, really, it always comes down to money. Like when you're choosing what league you want to play in or everything, like the, the money's going to be won. And then he said he had a list and a rubric that he used with his partner, and they were going to look at food, apartment, and other things. But like he he wanted to get paid, right? So I'm curious, yeah. what was your approach? And I know you hinted at this earlier where you chose the college route over university to start because you wanted to win. And sure enough, like you're playing for a Belgian Cup when you choose to play in Belgium that year, or you're playing, like you're making semifinals and all the other leagues you're playing in, like, was playing for a championship really important for you or, or was it the right system or what, was it honestly what they were offering? Like what were some of the, the dozens of things you considered about this league or this club when you were deciding where you wanted to play? Yeah, I think when you can start caring about money is when you have a lot of options with a lot of money. <laughs> so um, that's, that's one thing I definitely didn't have in my earlier years. So it was more like, the money would be similar, maybe a little bit less somewhere, but it'd be a lot better volleyball. So it would be better for my years after. So it was kind of like investment in the future contracts, that sort of idea. Um, but I also think for a spiker, you can go, for example, like, like let's say Mar, for example, he goes to Italy right off the bat and he gets a ton of sets. He gets to spike, be the big spiker guy on that team. And he's going to go somewhere else. But if you're the setter on that team, and even though someone's spiking a lot of balls, but you're losing games, they're not really coming to your to your games to say like, oh, but the setter is also really good. It's like you got to start doing something. You got to start winning games. It's kind of what people look at at the start, or at least that's what I believe they were looking at. So to kind of make those steps, I thought you got to go somewhere with the opportunity to win a championship. And when you do that, or if you do that, people will come knocking on the door and asking to help their team do the same thing in a different league. So um, that was kind of the way I looked at it. So when I chose Netherlands, I knew that they had a chance and they had a good team. Um, and they were like an okay league just because they could play some European Cups, but it was mainly like 
if I go there, we have to win. So it was kind of that feeling. And then from there, I went to Duran, um, had an amazing coach. And I uh, actually thought we had a chance to do something there too, but just kind of fell short in semis. Um, with uh, a lot smaller budget than the <laughs> two teams that played in the final. So we were, we were proud of what we accomplished, I guess, but uh, obviously you always want more. But I just think like the more games you win as a setter and the better results you have, it looks better for the setter, um, which is a bit of a shame because I, I don't always want to be like a slave to the results or whatever, but um, I'd rather focus on like the process and playing a good game. And if you play like to your best level, that's, that's great. But when you're talking about pro and you're talking about money and contracts and who's going to talk to you and who's going to ask you to come play for a team, it doesn't hurt to have a, a trophy on the mantle, you know? <laughs> For sure, for sure. Yeah, well said. And uh, I'm curious, as you're progressing as a pro, what was it like seeing how the national team was progressing? So there you are, and you and TJ are growing into the position, but all of a sudden, like Nick Hogue or Vigrass, and like the program's kind of growing around you guys as like the core of it. So what was it like going back to every summer? Like, did Glenn's system get sophisticated? Did the guys playing it just get better? Like, when all the results started coming with World League or, or taking some podium stuff, like, what did it feel from the inside? What was kind of changing with the club? Yeah, I think our level came up. I think some of the young guys that, that were coming in, in in my age group and are in and around my age group um, and then learning from those older guys were kind of getting some stuff done at an earlier age at the higher level than like the team was doing previously, let's say. Um, I should put that like the older guys kind of grinded through like getting the program back on track and then giving it some sort of stability. And then when the young guys came in, it was like, okay, we got to learn from these guys. We got to learn from Glenn, catch up to the game. But, you know, through all those years, obviously those older guys got older. So it was like time for the younger guys to actually have an impact and to kind of use those things at obviously the highest level. So I think it was a bit of that like turning of the tides with guys that were younger but had developed a couple of years like guys like Nick and Gord and like Gord spent so many years with the national team. So by the time, like we all kind of caught up to Gord, you know, to play with him because he was playing with the older guys before most of us. So, so yeah, I think it was just like a, a coming of, of like age and development for the younger guys getting into that role, but learning from the, from Glenn obviously, and then from older guys on the team. So um, that was kind of the development. I think we went from a team that was really the feeling was like, all the medium lower ranked teams we played was like, man, we really have to win this game because that's going to keep us in VNL. Like we just, we have to win that game. So there's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress from that. And then when we played the better teams, it was like, okay, we probably will lose, but like we're going to battle with them. And then the mentality shifted to like, when we play those medium teams, it's like, and we're going to, we're going to beat these teams. Like we're, we had this confidence, like, okay, we can take care of these teams. If we play well, that's going to be okay. Now let's like turn our eyes to what's above us and like try to start hunting those guys down. So the mentality kind of shifted through the years like that, I think. Nice. And I know he was only there for a brief period of time, but did uh, Antica have any influence on you? When I had TJ on the show, he just kind of talked about uh, Glenn is very system-based and structure-based and that's awesome and he's done a great job with Canada, but Antigua brought a different mood, a different creativity to the game. So uh, I'm curious as a setter, was that something that excited you, just having a voice for a couple seasons? 
Uh, yeah, definitely. I like his style of play. He's like a, like a player's coach style. Obviously, being a player, ex-player himself, um, I was really impressed with like the moments in a game where he'd say like, "Hey, just in this, let's let's use this option," and you're like, "Wow, it's like it's open." Or on this, let's like reach on the line on block, and it's like, okay, and you reach on the line on block and you get the block, and it's like, wow, this guy definitely has a feel for the game, you know. So it was more like that kind of stuff, which was uh, out of system play. Like you're not holding your block straight; you're like taking a risk. But he had that kind of feel for the game, so that was kind of cool to develop for me. And also, it's a little bit more my style of play, so it kind of fitted fit my mentality a little bit to be a little bit more free and open to kind of read your game. Um, so I enjoyed that for sure. He was a good guy, easy to talk to, um, easy to talk about volleyball and all that stuff. So I actually met him a couple of times this this year in Poland, so it was good to catch up also. So. So, yeah, and I think like that comparison of the two, like I wanted to work hard for Glenn. I wanted to play good for him. I wanted to like do the things that he said. Um, so there was like a, this hard work ethic, kind of like aggressive battle mentality. And Antigua maybe had a little bit less of the like aggressive, let's like go beat down a team and a little more of the like, let's do something like creative. Let's try to find a way to get an open net. Let's try to. I don't know, like move your hands like this and try to create something that looks different for the middle. So it was just kind of like two different concepts or way of playing, but um, obviously both had an impact on our team. And uh, the the best is when you get a mix of that stuff with your team because you can like learn some from one, learn some from the other, and kind of place all those things together as a player and how it best fits. Yeah, like uh, JVD and TJ both brought up a moment that. Uh... In the 2016 cycle, you guys are, are down to Cuba and you go into a timeout and normally Glenn would kind of light you guys up or start uh, barking at guys where TJ, I, I forget how I described it, but he said it was kind of nice to not feel like you were playing against Glenn as well. So it showed that he kind of matured as the group developed. Like, did you get a sense of that when he came back that it, it wasn't the same guy that maybe he acknowledged that the group he started with to the group now that like you guys have matured. So he gave you a little bit more of a leash. Yeah, I think so. And I think he trusted us a lot. I think uh, he kind of gave us the, the reins a little bit to to play and to try things between between ourselves, like the speed we wanted to play or this option we wanted to play or this style, whatever. He kind of gave us, like Glenn gave us that freedom in the second when he, when he came back. So I think he saw how we were all kind of developing in pro and coming back to the national team and developing in pro again. And a lot of us were playing on Champions League teams or we were playing on good teams in the league. So we were getting this experience and starting to develop in a way that I think he started to trust us more than the years before. And I feel like the years before he didn't necessarily trust us, but he, he knew we were going to work, but he knew that we needed like this strict framework to be successful, to learn the game and all that stuff. So I think it was like, like they were kind of saying like this flow where it went from that to a little bit less, less structured and less maybe barking at us to get us going. Um, so that that definitely changed, uh, I think. And uh, yeah, it was interesting to see how it went, actually. Like when, you, when you look back at it, it's, it was definitely a difference. Because I remember my first couple summers in Gatineau, it was, it was pretty uh, pretty intense, I could say. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm curious, uh, as a creative guy, competitive guy who wants to win, 
How do you think about the setting position? Because uh, in terms of tactics, like we, we make the joke all the time on the show where we'll have Thomas Sore on the show and he'll pretend it's this artistic position. You got to have a feel for it. And then we'll check the box score. And be like you set Hamish 45 times. Like that wasn't artistic. <laughs> that was like you set your best player where when we had Dustin Snyder on it, the way he described it was awesome. He's like, everybody in the gym knew I was going to set Gavin. But how often could I run my middle on a 30 and have the other middle like yip on it? So they knew that like that one out of six time I was going to set it, they had to go for it. So how do you kind of balance like the game plan versus the art of like, yeah, everybody in the gym knows this guy's going to get the ball, but I still have to get a one on one. I have to get an open net for him. Like, how do you battle through like what the game plan says versus what you're feeling out in the moment? Yeah, I mean, that's I'm I'm actually trying to figure that out or get a little more structure to that even now. training here with Ben and everything, uh, talking about a lot of setting stuff. So I would say like I, I play a lot of games on the field and like kind of the flow of the offense moving this way, I play against it, the flow here, I kind of force something or I don't know, you just kind of have this feel of what's going to be open through obviously all your experiences and stuff like that. So like if you had to encapsulate my style, I would say like a, a lot of it would be on field. And now uh, speaking with Ben a lot and talking about stuff, we're trying to, set it up so I have a bit of like uh, this structure of like I can define what I'm feeling like in this moment that's why it's like this that's why it's open the, the middle isn't following so I feel like there's light in front of me so like set to the daylight and the middle should go in that gap and score but what I'm actually doing is noticing that the middle's not following like that's my that's the actual structure there but for me it's like been a long time of just playing so I don't necessarily have those like all those cues lined up, kind of like a you know, like a quarterback check down route, like where they would check all their routes and then they throw back. Like I, I can't tell you that I have like okay this and then this and then this, but I might make the exact same play. So I'm trying to put that kind of structure to my offense now, uh, which is kind of funny, but you know it's like kind of that constantly learning thing and trying to get better and trying to improve. So. Um, that's kind of where I'm at in my setting, setting style now. Um, so yeah. yeah. And how much? Uh, I know it's helping happening. Excuse me, like so self conscious happening at game speed, but how much can you prep for? Like, are there middles that you can say, oh, they're going to commit on the short side? Like, if you're being pushed to four, like this middle likes to commit and follow versus he's going to stay neutral. Like, is there anything you can prep for? Honestly, it's always coming down to where's the first pass located? Are you taking a peek through the net? Like, how much can you game plan for versus just being in the moment, like you said? Yeah, I think you game plan for their tendencies. But a lot of times, their tendencies are against other teams. So until you have time to play against them, you don't really know their tendency against you. So that can and that can be different. I mean, at the lower level, there might be tendencies that they just do all the time because they're not amazing players. But at the highest level that they're amazing players, they might have tendencies as well, but they're going to be tendencies depending on situations. Like when the ball is pushed forward, this middle likes to half front and then release, or he's going to half front and double jump to four, like that kind of thing where you, you kind of got to know that what's going to happen or the maybe a possibility that this is what the middle likes to do. And then once you're in the game, you see, okay, is this how he's going to do it this time? Is this his choice? Is this the way he's going to try to play us? And then trying to follow that until it changes is kind of the goal. Like, so middle doesn't want to front our middle. Okay, let's set our middle, set our middle, set our middle until you see like this guy is going to have to change at some point. If he doesn't, I guess we're setting middle. 
And when he does, you say, okay, now he's changing his tendency. Let's change our game a little bit. And then just having the options to be able to do that and having those guys still kind of ready to play, even though you went away from them for a while. So it's like the whole balancing of that also on top of it. So um, there's definitely a lot going on, but I think like the base layer is trying to get an idea of what somebody's tendency is, somebody's ideas, and then go from there. And is it that simple or I, I guess the, the simplicity is so complex, but is it that simple where if they're not going to stop your middle and pipe overload that you're just going to go to it? Like you're not going to out outsmart yourself even and be like, oh, I haven't set right side in a while. I have to go to them. Or like if they're not stopping like an overload, like you'll set the overload the whole time. I mean, yeah, we played in um, last world championships. We played Egypt and they had just played Brazil and they had something like, I don't know, 18 blocks or I don't know. And they had, they had so many blocks. And when Antigua looked at the video, they had like 12 or 13 of them on the middles. So then we looked at it and they were commit blocking on every, every good pass anywhere near that you could set the middle, they were commit blocking. So we said, okay, let's set our guys in four and until they change. And so middles, you might have a boring night here because if they're jumping with you, we're just going to play the four. So, and, and pipe. And so we kind of just did that and just rotated between four, pipe, 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 four, like just back and forth there. And they were committing like the whole time. I think I set maybe five middle balls in the game, just like randomly toss one there so that they keep jumping. And uh, we won the game. So it was kind of like we kind of knew what it was going to look like before the game. It might not be so fun for some positions, but kind of like took care of it in that way. But not many teams will be like that. So it'll be more of like a flow. I think there's not many teams that will commit all the time and then make you kind of win with two players or something. But um, lots of times it'll be a flow. Like they'll have an idea. And if you find that idea out and you go to the other thing, you wait for them to kind of catch that other thing. You get this feeling like, okay, they're starting to kind of get over here. And then you release somewhere else. And then you start like that kind of cycle. Um, That's more common than than the previous and I, I guess that goes to the, like the leadership style of the position maybe it doesn't happen at the national team level but either with your pro clubs or even a university how do you keep your m2 engaged knowing that they're going to get maybe four attempts a match like how do you get them to go hard how do you get them to draw the one-on-one like is that just coming down to them being a professional and being a competitor or like how do the how do you make them feel valued even though they're not getting swings that match yeah um i think that kind of goes for everybody to be honest i think uh not just like the second middle. I think historically speaking, yeah, the second middle doesn't get as many looks, but depends who you have. Like it depends what kind of player you have. Maybe you'll put like a guy, like a spiky middle that you want to just feed all the time and you put him uh, in that position, you know, because whatever, you're just going to set him a bunch so it doesn't really matter if he's M1 or M2. Like, I don't know, like it really depends on the personnel, but I think it can even come into like, okay, I don't set opposite that much. I'm like, man, it's so hard to keep your guy going if you're setting everything else and then you could just give him one long set or something, like a difficult ball. And it's like, oh, man, I would have appreciated like a double plus pass in a good situation that I could get a good spike here. But so I think there's, it comes down to like obviously communication. Like, hey guys, this is our idea for the game. This is our game plan. This is our style of play, whatever. Um, this is kind of where you're going to get your looks. Um, and then also comes down to in the game, like making sure you're piecing in, even though it's not part of your game plan or part of your offensive strategy, maybe 
you piece in like one or two to this guy that just to keep him feeling good, keep him revving. Maybe you give him one before his serve so that he feels good after spiking that he's going back to serve. Like, okay, I touched the ball and now like I, f- I feel more confident on my serve. So kind of just finding those tidbits of where to keep everybody, everybody kind of wheeling. And and you mentioned Benjo taking the helm here a couple times and with you being a Gatineau, uh, I'm curious with a, a new cycle, is it tempting for you to be a leader based on the matches you played in your two-time Olympian that is there any opportunity to have like an informal discussion with like just the setter room right now to have you and Walsh there, but to have Sora, App, and Elgert and all these guys and Elser, like it just seems like a pretty young, talented group. Like, have you found time to connect with those guys and just share ideas with them? Uh, yeah, definitely. And it's like scheduled. So we have video meetings, we have setter meetings, we have uh, just like even one-on-one meetings with, with Ben. Epp and I have talked a lot already. Walsh just got in yesterday from Greece. So, yeah, like we've been talking a lot and those young guys are talented. So um, I think this is, it's going to be a good group. And most of those video sessions, it's funny, you watch a couple clips and then you just start talking about volleyball. So you're not watching clips all the time. You're just kind of discussing situations and what about this and what about that and what are you looking at here? And um, so I think that kind of stuff is, is pretty important. Um, I definitely, as a player myself, I really liked when uh, older guys would give me some feedback or take the time to give some information back. So uh, obviously I'm going to do my best to kind of give them my knowledge of whatever that's worth and then they can take it and do with it what they will. But um, even for me, though, I feel like I'm kind of constantly learning here. It's Ben is a new coach. I haven't, I haven't played with him for a long time. Um, so there's a bunch of new language bunch of new terms there's a bunch of new ideas so um just kind of catching up to all that stuff and uh discussing with the guys is pretty cool and then trying to pick those ideas that that ben has and is implementing and say like okay but in this situation this is kind of how it's been so like how do we integrate this or how do we match this together so there's been a ton of conversations with with uh setter specifically but also like full team we've done a lot of video sessions with the whole team just going over our system going over our kind of ideas of how we want to play and um kind of those if then situations like if this happens this is what we're going to do um so there's been a lot of conversations and uh i think the guys know like we have a setters whatsapp group and stuff so um, i think the guys know i'm pretty open they want to grab a coffee too and just talk about even like pro stuff or it's kind of difficult in Canada. We don't have a ton of information about how pro even works and like, how does an agent work and how does the contracts work? And I don't know, like, are there bonuses normally or are they not bonuses normally? Like just random questions that you might want to know when you start getting over there. So um, I'm open for all those conversations with the guys. And I, I hope they know that if, if not, uh, I'll send another message to make sure they know. So. <laughs> nice. And, and just with the way you like to carry yourself in your leadership style, like, uh, obviously Ben Joe's is the volleyball just guru and easy to get along with, but how important is it for you to kind of be a leader and say like, okay, I know you want to do it this way, but I like to do it this way. Like, are you guys having pretty open conversations? Obviously you're not stopping a drill being like, Hey, back when I was setting at the Olympics, Ben, we did it this way, but uh, obviously there's going to be some give and take there. And I'm sure he trusts what you bring to the table. Like as a new coach, do you feel like you just want to let him ride the wave and be excited? Or is there time for you to say, Hey, like, uh, have you thought about it this way or this way? Like, cause obviously you've accomplished a lot in your career too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, one 
probably as excited as he is. I'm just as excited to be back here. So we're kind of feeding off each other and discussing things. Um, and then I think he's super open. Like he loves talking volleyball. He could sit down, went to the driving range the other day and like talk the whole time about volleyball, like driving back in the car and like parked and just start, kept talking volleyball. So he's super open to talk about how we want to do things and um, how we want to play. And then also for me, like I'm also open. I'm a big, big kind of uh, open mindset, learning mindset kind of guy. So um, I'm looking forward to see like how this all pans out, but all this new information and stuff, I'm trying to kind of take it in as much as I can and uh, implement the game. And then, like I said, if I, if I notice something that's like really out of the ordinary or something, for sure, I'll say something. And I mean, there's no problem with Ben. He'll talk about it and probably have an answer for it, <laughs> to be honest. So um, I think that part's gone really good and uh, really well. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been great so far. It's been a couple of weeks I've been here and I've already learned a lot. And I think uh, he's trying to, trying to pick some of the guys' mind, like not just myself, but the other guys that have played pro and, I've been around for a little bit of time. I think he's also picking their mind, like, hey, what's this like? And and how do we want to do this? And is this kind of working the way you guys think it should work or whatever? So um, it's definitely going both ways. But he has an idea. He's definitely confident in the idea. And he's, uh, he's given us all the information and tools we need to kind of execute that. So we just need to kind of get better at, at those things and, and then see if we need to change or if we can keep it like that and kind of watch our efficiencies and see if they're going up or if they're going down and where we need to fix them, basically. Well, sweet, man. It's super exciting time for the program, and I'm glad. Uh, I know there was some turnover with the new cycle, but I was excited when I saw your name still on the list and everything you've brought to the program and still going. So uh, I'm sure we could go down the rabbit hole on setting, and we're going to have to get you back on. But uh, we're both strapped for time, so we'll call it there. But one tradition we've built into the show is just a, an odd or unique story. So we've heard that you've played at the highest level and, and accomplished so much in your career. But, man, the volleyball community can be funny or odd. So I was hoping you could share one, uh, one story just to give us a laugh before we let you go. Um, yeah, so past Olympics in Tokyo, um, I can't remember what happened. I think Mar was, well, Mar's a loud guy, so he was probably making a bunch of noise for some reason. So then when he left our room, we were all kind of in the same, same living area. Uh, he left his door unlocked, so we just opened the window for his door and like took his whole bed and all the stuff like out in the, in like the hallway area where everyone was walking by and everything. And when he came back from eating food, he was he was a little bit upset, you could say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that you guys were allowed to have fun in Tokyo because the, the word on the street was it was kind of like jail at times where it was, didn't feel like probably for real like you, right? Like you weren't allowed to walk around checking out other sports. Like uh, I'm glad you guys could have some fun in the dorms, even though it, it didn't feel like a, a traditional Olympics, I should say. Yeah, I think it was a little bit uh, closer knit with just the team than Rio. Um, but yeah, it was pretty shut down. There was... I mean, there's a bunch of rules and regulations, obviously, but also you don't know like other people's level of concern and it's like their biggest competition as well. So like, you're not kind of going really out of your way to like, step into other people's space or anything because you don't really know how they're going to receive it, you know? So um, it was pretty focused on just our team, but uh, we had a pretty good time. So, well, sweet man, I'm glad you're enjoying Gatineau and it's just starting. So like good luck on, on an upcoming season and, and everything else you've got going in your career and, and thanks for sharing all you did today yeah thanks a lot i appreciate it